As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. Coming up on the show, it's a top spot weekend as first Manchester City, then Chelsea sit at the summit of the league. Manchester United play and win at Old Trafford for the very first time. And Everton thump five past Brighton, including a perfect hat-trick from Hayley Razzo. Welcome along, I'm Lindsay Hooper. And I'm Kate Borsay. And joining us today is the Sheffield United forward, formerly played for Everton, Liverpool and Doncaster. It's Courtney Sweetman-Kirk. A welcome return to the Offside Rule, Courtney. It's a pleasure to be back. Nice little tap-in at the weekend for you. Sheffield United (laughs) earning a one-all draw at second place, Durham. Yeah, it was um, it was a, a tough game, and we always know Durham's a, a tough place to go. I think we're quite disappointed um, not to come away with the three points, but that's football. Obviously, we've got a few games left now, and and hopefully we can have a good run in the FA Cup as well. Yeah, and in the Championship, Leicester City um, are just about there, aren't they? Just one win away, pretty much, from promotion. Yeah, they've they've done really well this season. Obviously, the investment that they've had. Um, from the men's side and the parent club, it is paying dividends now. So, you know, they've done really well this season and all credit to them. We were joined last episode, Courtney, by Kelly Simmons from the FA. She was discussing the new TV deal, which has been everywhere across media platforms this week. Uh, She was talking about how the money would filter down the football pyramid and being in the championship, I suppose as well, having worked your way up from lower down than that. What was your reaction to, to some of the responses? Yeah, I think that's really important. And I I think, you know, especially lockdown and the pandemic has shown in terms of the fragility of of our pyramid. So I think, you know, to go forward and and be sustainable long term, this TV deal is absolutely fantastic. But everything underneath the WSL in the championship also needs to strengthen um, to make sure that, that it's there for the long term. Yeah, ultimately good news for the women's game and exciting times ahead. Uh, also exciting, of course, uh, we are at stage two of the lockdown uh, release in Boris Johnson's plan. Means the return of grassroots sport. I saw some football uh, near me last night. There's golf going on. Lindsay, have you been out on the tennis court yet? No, Thursday night is the first one. <laughs> there, there is actually tennis this evening, but I can't do that one. And what a oh. night, what a night for it, just to be outside <laughs> playing sport. I can't wait. So there's lots of good stuff happening on. And of course, this is so important, isn't it? The return of grassroots sport. Um, Courtney, it must feel like 
uh, to many sides. Um, it's been it's been a horrible delay, particularly those teams who've really suffered further down the tiers. It does mean that they can get back to action, um, although of course not league action. We have been so lucky um, in the top two tiers to be able to to carry on playing with the protocols that have been in place, and it's unfortunate that you know that couldn't have been carried down. But I think that obviously safety was was the main thing in terms of that. But it'd be great for them to get back, and, and especially with the FA Cup, it's a competition that that everyone loves so for them to be able to get back out and play in and, and then training I think is just very important just you know for fitness for mental health and, and just be back doing things you love. OK, well, let's start with the WSL title race. It has been a topsy-turvy weekend, this one. We know who's in first and second, or do we? Well, if you're bringing up to speed, uh, they've been pushing each other every single step of the way. You're listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Dean's Media and The Athletic. There's a sense of urgency about Chelsea as they look to return to the top of the Women's Super League. Kirby dinks it in, looking for Kerr, and the header is in. And it's that old combination once again. Frank Kirby lifts the ball in for Sam Kerr, who nods it past Lisa Weiss. Midway through this first half, Chelsea have the breakthrough. Chelsea won, Aston Villa nil. So as you guess, we're going to start with Chelsea. They finished the weekend at the top of the WSL after Sam Kerr's double gave the Blues a comfortable 2-0 win over Aston Villa. Both goals were set up by Frank Kirby and afterwards manager Emma Hayes praised Kerr and Kirby's telepathic partnership. We'll have more on that in a minute. So Chelsea stayed two points clear of Manchester City at the top of the WSL, while Villa, who managed just one shot on target in the 90 minutes, are one point off the bottom. Uh, Let's come on to the partnership straight away because they're now being known as Kirby. (laughs) A bit like Kirby grips. In the Hollywood celebrity world, we've had Brangelina... And that one sticks in the head a little bit more than Kirby. (laughs) But anyway, it is proving to be a brilliant partnership. Uh, I mean, Emma Hayes even afterwards spoke about this telepathy between the two. It's like they know where each other's going to be. Courtney, I mean, in terms of partnerships, is this going to be the first established partnership that we'll see in women's football? Potentially, I think there's been a a few down the years. But, you know, women's football is quite a strange one in terms of, you know, contracts maybe compared to men you know they get three four year contracts whereas you know the women's game is moving on and it's getting better now um but you know historically it's only been maybe one or two year contracts so you maybe don't get the time to build those relationships whereas especially at Chelsea and obviously the funding and and what they're wanting to do they've had a time to to build that relationship and play together and I think now you know Sam Kerr struggled quite a bit really when she first came you know she came with a big price tag um, probably wasn't scoring as many goals as, as people thought but I think we're definitely seeing the best of her now and Frank Kirby's a massive part of that and obviously her return to form after her illness is, is fantastic to see. Just off the top of my head, I was trying to think of other ones. Um, I feel like I need help. So anyone listening at Offside Rule Pod, if you want to get in touch. I did reach out as well to Laura Bassett and Tony Layton, but they haven't got back to me in time. (laughs) But um, I actually thought Ellen White and Rachel Williams at Birmingham, they were a good partnership 
uh, Once Upon a Time. Uh, we didn't see much of this other one, but I just remember for England, Natasha Dowie and Enia Luko teaming up really well in a couple of games they played in. Certainly, I remember one where they played under Mark Sampson and teed each other up a couple of times. So I, I don't think there's loads. I don't think there's an abundance of these, but I'm happy to be proven wrong, especially going back, you know, 10 years or more. If we've got any women's football fans listening who could get in touch, we'd love to hear more of those. Fran Kirby is now the player involved in the most goals in the WSL, 12 goals, nine assists, so 21 in total. If we look at Kerr, of course, she scored that really important goal against Wolfsburg. We'll chat more about that later. She had that hat-trick against Bristol in the League Cup final, a brace then at the weekend. Such a rich vein of form she's in. And Lindsay, I'm going to challenge you. Are you going to row back on your she ain't all that tag from (laughs) earlier on this season? (laughs) No, I I think I'm going to stick with along the same lines as what Courtney said, actually, which is that she didn't have the start we all thought. Uh, There was a huge price tag. Of course, there's an adjustment period. And now she is showing the the sort of form that we were expecting. I don't think there's anything I need to row back on, Kate. Okay, all right. What is to her credit, though, is she never goes for an easy goal, does she? And it's like she does have talent there. She has experience. And she has the ability, and it is a rare ability, to look for goals in difficult places, in difficult positions. And that I have to credit her for. There is a certain boldness about her, which I love. There's also credit that has to be given here, I think, to Emma Hayes and the way she's managed the situation um, with her to keep playing her, to keep showing consistency. Uh, That's obviously really given her the confidence to be able to try and execute some of the shots. Certainly the one we saw in the first leg of the Champions League, which that angle looked impossible, didn't it? So I, I would also like to credit Emma and the way that she's managing these games and the rich succession of them. We've had uh, this game on Wednesday that's just happened against Wolfsburg. We've got the second leg coming up. She made six changes in this game. Um, Anne-Catherine Berger was one of the ones rested. I thought that was probably an astute move. Um, And then just as this game looked like it was completely won, done and dusted, Kirby, Kerr, Carter, Cuthbert, they were all taken off. And then the bench is used to great force. I, I don't know whether you picked up on that, Courtney. Yeah, definitely. And, and she did that in terms of the um, the changing of the keeper. She did that the, the week before as well. So I think it's very astute. And now to go in and win the Champions League, that's what you've got to do in terms of your squad rotation. And I think that's something that, you know, Emma Hayes hasn't been quiet about. That's been her ambition in terms of the Champions League. And she's now got the squad to be able to do that and you know it's just fantastic man management and and going back to Sam Kerr I think as a striker you always want to have confidence and and if you've got that confidence instilled from from your manager then it makes it a lot easier and I think as well we've we've got to pay credit to the WSL um, as a league and and I think it's becoming in similar to the men's Champions League where you know you get some of these fantastic foreign players but because of the 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 competitiveness and the aggressiveness and tempo of our league some players do find it difficult because it is so competitive so you know it's it's taken her a bit of time to bed in but she's now showing her quality interesting point here Manchester City have actually scored one more goal than Chelsea in the WSL so whilst we may might sort of rave about the KK combo um, City have scored a goal more of course their goals are more spread through Ellen White Chloe Kelly Caroline Weir Arsenal are only one behind Chelsea as well so uh, just sort of interesting to reflect that although we are raving about Chelsea goals uh, you know the other teams around them City Arsenal are scoring nearly as many um, that's what happened at Chelsea then at the weekend. They were briefly replaced by Manchester City at the top of the table on Saturday. Let's hear more on that now. It is him. 
some change as well. Hemp's still going. This will be a fabulous goal. And it is in the back of the net. The work done by Lauren Hemp have finished off in the centre from close range. And Manchester City finally do have their late breakthrough. And what a huge goal that could be in the title race. Manchester City, they left it late to edge past Reading 1-0 on Saturday. Lauren Hemp's superb solo run set up Chloe Kelly, who tapped in with three minutes remaining. It was a welcome return to winning ways after the 3-0 Champions League defeat against Barcelona on Wednesday. Reading, who've now gone four games without a win, dropped down to seventh place. I guess the one thing here, um, Courtney, between Manchester City and Chelsea is that with that 3-0 defeat in the Champions League midweek, it looks like City will be able to purely focus on WSL whereas Chelsea won't we've talked about that great rotation but how do you think Gareth Taylor's handling this it's hard to say because they'll they'll not want to go and and give that up even though they look out of it so they're not going to want to go and roll over but realistically they'll probably know that they're going to struggle to to get back that deficit and do want to concentrate on the league but you know that said Chelsea have got the the bigger squad so the rotation probably isn't too much of an issue on the game itself, um, you know, City City had numerous chances. It it was quite a frustrating watch and it must have been the same, I'm sure, for Gareth Taylor. Um, plenty of chances, really good chance um, early on, saved by Grace Maloney. Georgia Stanway could have got one. Caroline Weir missed another. Newest header as well. Yes, yeah, exactly. And obviously, and obviously Gareth Taylor did squad rotate. So it is, it is interesting because whilst we are sort of pretty much writing them off against Barcelona, he did initially rest key players. You know, Newest came on a little bit later and a few other changes as well. So he did use the depth of his squad rotate which tells you a little bit about the fact that he doesn't believe that that fixture is over against Barcelona. Um, So pretty frustrating game um, for City. Fair play to Reading. Uh, We need to give them a shout. I've already mentioned Grace Maloney. um, Kelly Chambers crediting her players post-match for changing their shape 15 minutes in. So um, fair play to Reading in this one, who defended really, really well. Reading have always been a very, very difficult side to beat and and they, they set themselves up like that. Um, Grace Maloney is, is a very good keeper and going forward they have got that you know that firepower with the likes of Danielle Carter we know Jess Fishlock and, and her quality and, and other players around so yeah, I think you've got to give credit to Reading that they've made it difficult for Man City for 90 minutes. There were two wow moments for me. I thought Grace Maloney and the saves that she was making, she really kept Re- Reading in this one. And Hemp's run to set up the goal, that was a wow moment yeah, too. Yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, to ha- to be able to do that so, so late on when the pressure's really mounting in a game, that's a player keeping their head, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. In, in terms of fitness-wise, you've got to look at it from that way. And as you say in terms of the, the mentality to be able to keep going, to have confidence in yourself. Because sometimes you get to games like that and you're thinking, are we ever going to score? But to have that mentality to keep going when you maybe have a bit of a frustrating afternoon, that's all credit to Lauren Hemp. And, and we know about her quality and she's definitely maturing as a player as well. One downside to this performance, Steph Horton out with a, an Achilles injury is going to be ruled out for two to three weeks for Gareth Taylor's side. That's going to be a huge miss. But we'll move from that one half of Manchester to the other now, a significant milestone in United's history. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, Old Trafford hosted a WSL match for the first time in its history as Manchester United beat bottom of the table West Ham 2-0 on Saturday. Teenager Lauren James opened the scoring just after half time and American forward Kristen Press sealed the victory a few minutes later, latching onto a great pass from Jackie Gronin. West Ham had Laura Vetterline sent off in the closing stages, a second yellow card and a one point now behind Aston Villa at the foot of the table. They're right in this relegation battle, Courtney. Are they, for you, the favourites to go down? In one way, yes, because of the position that they're in. But in the first half, they were brilliant against Manchester United. They pressed them. They they made Manchester United at times look ordinary. They they made the defence and, and Mary Earps give the ball away. They panicked them and put them under pressure, but they just didn't do the last bit of putting the ball back in the net. And, you know, they had three or four very, very good chances in that first half. And, you know, it would have been a completely different game if they go into half time one or two up. Yeah, they did look unsettled in the first half. Casey Stoney referenced it and just um, said that they were, maybe they were a bit unnerved by the big occasion. She did change things around a bit at half time. But I thought it was interesting that, that, that Casey Stoney was critical pre-match, that this one wasn't shown on TV. And it's it's a bit of a weird conundrum to, to kind of finally get to this point for Manchester United, Courtney. They've been waiting a long time to play at Old Trafford, but for it then, you know, to have no crowds there. It must must have seemed like perhaps a bit of an anticlimax. Yeah, I think it's one of those I've 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 played at you know, when we played at Anfield in, in front of I think it was twenty five thousand fans. That's why you want to play at the big stadiums to get more fans in. So it, it's, a, it's a difficult situation and I think, you know, with, with the way that the TV rights were, they weren't allowed to show it on MUTV either. So it, it is disappointing. Um, but hopefully next season when we can get fans back in, they can play there again with the fans. But I think at such a big occasion, it is a shame that it wasn't televised for, you know, for all the world to see. Casey has actually been quite critical full stop, I think, the last few matches of her own team as well. She wasn't that impressed with this performance either, probably for some of the reasons that you mentioned. Courtney in that first half where West Ham really did ask some serious questions. Um, I do wonder though, are they going to drop enough points now? Because we've said it's this foot race to try and finish in the European places. Crucially, points-wise, they have got a three-point advantage, but it's Arsenal with a game in hand, and I wonder if that's going to be critical. Yeah, the, the one game in hand is massive. I think, you know, as the old cliche goes, you, you like to have the points in the bag, but they'll be looking at that in the position they're in, thinking, you know, we've got a, a massive shout here to to finish above Arsenal. As I think Casey will be disappointed knowing her standards because she knows in that first half if maybe they were playing a better squad or a more clinical squad they could be one or, or two nil down um, and knowing her and her standard she won't be happy with that but the second half Jackie Gronin especially was absolutely unbelievable the pass for the second goal and, and there was a pass after that she made it should have been three nil it split about three players through to uh, Lucy Staniforth who, who should have scored and she put it straight at Brosnan the keeper but she was unbelievable changed the game for me in that second half and, and Lauren James in the first half was probably the, the shining light for them. Yeah, she's uh, she's going to be a quiz question in years to come, isn't she? She's now scored <laughs> the first goal for Manchester United women in the Championship, the WSL, the FA Cup and now at Old Trafford. Yeah, we all need to remember that for the quiz questions. And as we've seen as well with, with Spurs playing at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, there's going to be more and more of these new grounds. I wonder if every time Lauren James plays, she pops up with that first goal. <laughs> Well, let's get some details now about what it was like to play at Old Trafford for Manchester United goalkeeper Mary Earps. 
welcome to the Offside Rule, Mary. Really good to speak to you. Thank you very much. Nice to be nice to be on. Yeah. So, I mean, it fantastic for the team to be playing at Old Trafford. It feels like, I mean, I mean, for you guys as well, I'm sure it feels like we've been waiting for this for so long. But it, it must have been slightly weird, the fact that there wasn't a crowd there. And it perhaps wasn't what we'd all envisaged when we spoke about it, you know, one, two plus years ago. Yeah, I mean, we don't necessarily get told a lot of things that kind of are happening behind the scenes but I guess there's a lot of people who've put a lot of work into this for it for it to actually happen I feel like it was almost a bit of a surprise for us we weren't expecting it at all we weren't thinking about it um we were just very much focused on kind of the games we had remaining so to be able to play at Old Trafford was just a huge bonus naturally we would have much rather our fans to have been there and cheering us on I think they would have come out in great numbers for us but hopefully this is the first of many and there'll be many more opportunities for them to come out. Was there anything surprising in the way that you felt turning out at Old Trafford how did it how did it feel as a player? You know what it was more special than I thought it was going to be because I don't feel like maybe because it was a bit of um, a surprise like it wasn't something that I knew was happening for like six months or whatever I didn't put too much effort into thinking about, wow, Old Trafford. I was just thinking football, focus, game, West Ham, same size pitch, white lines, football, that type situation, still a round ball, still (laughs) 11 players of each team. So for me, it was kind of about that. But when I went to see the pitch a couple of days before, just to sort of get my head around, um, you know, visualising kind of what the game would look like and, I mentioned this the other day, I like to know like where I'm going to park and what that walk from the car to the ground is going to look like, just so I'm totally familiar. And then when we turned up on the day, there was a lot of branding, which was obviously specific for the women's team. And the pitch itself was an absolute treat. So I think from that point of view, it was just a lovely day. The sun was shining in sunny Manchester to play a game of football and play on a really gorgeous pitch with a stadium with such history um so it was more special than I thought the game itself um you'll have heard your, the comments from Casey afterwards um she didn't think that that you were too good in the first half maybe the enormity of the occasion got to a couple of the players um what happened at half time how did um how did you how did Casey set set the team about uh adjusting and reformatting and of course you know leading them to a much better second half yeah, Casey definitely wasn't very happy at <laughs> half time. But to be fair, we have like quite an honest group. So we already, you can feel it when things aren't quite clicking and working the way that you want them to, or more importantly, the way you prepare for them to when you're building into that game in training, you know something's off. And so we were already kind of in the changing rooms talking through the problems and solutions for those problems. So yeah, Casey definitely wasn't pleased, but neither were we. And for it was just about right going out and putting it right there wasn't really too many words said because we could all feel the disappointment within ourselves and I think I think then in the second half things started to just click a little bit better I think there was things in the first half where we were all on different pages with a few things gave we all did all of us gave the ball away cheaply at times whereas the second half we just kind of stripped things back looked at doing the basic things, looked at where the space was opening up and where we could exploit those spaces. And it was a really 
it sounds like a really simple solution, but when you're in the game and it's really chaotic, it's not always easy to find those. But I'm really glad we turned it around with a, a much better second half performance. Are you conscious of your vocals being louder than normal because you're in an empty stadium, particularly in a place like Old Trafford as well? Whatever you say is going to boom around a bit, right? I honestly don't think about it being heard, but I probably should at times. <laughs> but um, I honestly don't think about it. I think early in the season, it, I was maybe like four or five games in and a couple of my friends were, you know, who don't necessarily know football that well, were turning on the telly, watching the games or watching on uh, the FA player. And we're saying, oh my God, you're so loud. You're so bossy. You're so loud. And, I, you know, that's kind of how I've always been. But I've definitely heard people mention it more now that there isn't that constant background noise. There isn't that, um, there, there aren't the fans there. Um, so I think it's definitely more noticeable, but I've always been the same. And I, I can't see me changing anytime soon. As one of the senior players, tell us a bit about Lauren James. We all think she's going to be a trivia quiz question or a trivial pursuit question in years to come because she <laughs> she scored the first goal for United Women in the Championship, the first in the WSL, the FA Cup and now at Old Trafford as well. She's scooping up those firsts. Tell us what she's like to play with and, and as a more experienced player, what do you see in her? Yeah, she certainly loves those firsts. Um, and obviously, as a defender, we kept the first clean sheet as well. So I'm going down that route. <laughs> yes, we all did. The, the, the whole team can take, but especially the you know the back five, the defensive unit takes a lot of pride in that. No, of course, LJ is a super talented player. I think she is one of the most gifted players with a feet that you'll see. She has a huge future. And, and it's kind of up to her what she wants wants to do with it. I'm always happy to do finishing practice with her for sure. <laughs> Tough test. Uh, Champions League, of course, everyone's talking about it. Now three places for Champions League qualification and it's pretty much kind of a straight competition between Manchester United and Arsenal. Both of you have got kind of, kind of a similar run. I know that Champions League... I've, I've, I heard you do an interview about it a couple of weeks ago. Um, it, mu- it must have been an older interview, but you were basically saying how it is one of the biggest prizes. It is on the European stage domestically for domestic teams, one of the biggest prizes. Um, and of course, United were top of the league at one stage. And there's been some flip-flopping around since then. You're now in third. How do you go for that Champions League place? I, I mean, is it is it that adage of one game at a time or is there... Is there something more at play in terms of how you do it? No, I think the Champions League is creme de la creme. Um, I've been lucky enough to play in it a few times before and it is just wonderful. Like it's where the elite play, it's where you want to be, you want to play with and against the best players in the world. That's the whole reason I play the game. I want to be at the top. I want to be competing at the top. I want to be going toe-to-toe with the best players in the world. I think we just have to really focus on winning each game because if you don't and you look further forward, it kind of becomes irrelevant because those are the games where you take your eye off the ball. And let's face it, you've seen the results this season. You, 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 how many times have you gone into a game and gone, oh, that's a dead cert? And then you've gone, oh, hang on, what's happened here? There's been a lot and a lot of those results have come from teams that we are due to play. So... Yeah, for me, it's about preparing 110% for every single game that we have remaining. And that's all we can do um, because it is no longer in our favour. That's kind of 
that's that's the way it is that's the brutal reality of the situation well look best of luck for Brighton on Sunday and also for the rest of the season as well Manchester United goalkeeper Mary Earps thanks for joining us thank you very much for having me Okay, well, that's Manchester United covered. What about the team hot on their heels for a place in Europe? Arsenal were impressive 3-0 winners in the North London derby at an empty Tottenham Hotspur stadium. Goals from Caitlin Ford, Vivian Miedemar and Katie McCabe sealed the points for the impressive Gunners, who maintained their push for, as we've said, a Champions League place. They remain fourth in the table and as for Spurs, they've now gone seven games without a win and remain in eighth. Uh, One place to start in this and it has to be a contender for goal of the season from a corner kick, Miedemar's luscious volley into that corner. Uh, One that you'd be proud of, I imagine, Courtney. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I've probably the the Miedemar fan club. I think she's brilliant. Every every time anyone ever asked me about her, you know, she she's got a bit of everything. She's one of the complete strikers. She's got pace. You know, she can score worldies, but her movement's great. And she'll also score tappings. I think you see her when she's angry as well and she unleashes a shot. And you just think, wow, to have that much um, quality at, at that age. And she's only going to get better. Is it goal of the season? So far, definitely. I think from the goals that I've seen, although... Caroline Weir scored a brilliant one, didn't she? Yeah, yeah I was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, there's there's a there's a banger from Caroline Weir in there as well. Sophie so, Ingle again? She's, yeah, she, she's I think, scored a couple. I think, yeah. yeah, I think it's between, for me, Caroline Weir and, and, and Miedemar at the moment. But I'm sure, hopefully, you know, for the last few games, there'll be some more contenders in there as well. There was really good work as well for Caitlin Ford's goal, the first one for Arsenal. Wuben Moy from the halfway line to Nobbs, who pushed it out to the wing, and then a nice one-two with Noel Moritz and Ford, which culminated in Ford getting the goal. And I think that kind of epitomised to me from the off how comfortable Arsenal look with each other. And I think that win against Man United a couple of weeks ago has really been key. They had such a stuttery start, um, didn't they? Beginning of February, defeats to Man City and Chelsea. But now Arsenal have won their last four WSL games. And that's a really nice momentum to build. And you have to credit as well, Courtney, I think the lack of Champions League football that's allowed Arsenal a bit more space to operate maybe quietly, maybe slightly under the radar um, in the way that we're used to seeing them play. Yeah, I think that first goal just epitomises Arsenal, you know, both the men's and the women's. They have a very similar way of playing. So and that sort of epitomises their style of play. And I think I, I agree with you. They've, they may be going slightly under the radar. The game in hand, as, as I said earlier, I think you want the points on the board. And I think Manchester United are in the stronger position. But that being said, they've got the game in hand. I believe they've got a uh, Arsenal have a superior goal difference as well so that will play into it so you know momentum is absolutely everything in football so when you're flying high and you've got confidence as they are now and and winning games on the bounce they will fancy anyone put in front of them after they've, they've gone for a tough period and you know sometimes as well going through that tough period and coming out of it always makes you feel a a little bit stronger as a team because you've come through something together. So it's definitely going to be an interesting race, both at the top and the bottom. And I think that's, again, what we want to see from the WSL. We want to see excitement all over the league. Next then, we'll move on to a sweet day for the Toffees. 
Well, it was a good day for Australian international Hayley Razzo. She scored her first senior hat-trick as Everton thumped Brighton 5-0 in the surprise result of the weekend. Brighton came into the game on a four-game winning run, but they were blown away really by the Toffees, who opened the scoring with an Izzy Christiansen penalty after Razzo was fouled. Razzo then took centre stage in this one. She scored a fine solo goal after 25 minutes, added two more in the second half. Simone McGill was also on the score sheet. Razzo scored with her left foot, her right foot and a header. That's the perfect hat-trick, right? Perfect hat-trick. Well, on Razzo, Everton manager Willie Kirk said it's been the culmination of months and months of hard work for Hayley. So she deserves it today, he said. What do we think about the scoreline, um, though? Really, really good stuff from Everton. This is this is sort of more like Everton from the first half of the season, isn't it, Courtney? Yeah, the, they are obviously had a bit of a dip in, in the middle of the season in form. But I think... You know where they are in terms of of their development of the club. I think they'll be more than happy to be sitting in fifth, regardless of of where they started. A strong end to the season will be what they're wanting, and the development of the of the club has been fantastic. And and Razo as well. She has a tough time of it um, in terms of injuries, and then couldn't come over because of of COVID and stuff like that. So it's been quite an interesting one for her and her development. So it, it's to go and get a perfect hat trick. I'm sure you know she's absolutely delighted with that and. So is Willie Kirk by the sound of it. I part credit Everton with this result, but I also have to part credit Brighton with it because it was such a messy performance from them. I don't know what to say about them as a team other than that they're so inconsistent. They have these phases. They'd obviously turned a corner, managed to really cement good performances for the last few games. And and this one was really below par. I, I don't think I call them in inconsistent though Lindsay I think that's perhaps a little bit harsh they had won the last four in a row and I think you've just got to put this down to a bit of a but dip. phases definitely yeah yeah no, phases. definitely phases I mean you, you just have little periods in the season where they they'll go on a little bit of a run and then it will just drop off a cliff and then they'll have a little bit of a run again and it'll drop off a cliff but I would imagine for Hope Powell Courtney trying to and especially when you look at the score lines as well in some of these games trying to get some more consistency I think that has to be the word, doesn't it, in performances? I agree, to be honest, with the inconsistent. You go, you know, they've won four on the bounce, but then before that, they've lost 3-0 to Bristol, 7-1 to Man City. I think it was lost to uh, Reading as well. I think 3-1 to Tottenham. So there, there is an inconsistency there. You don't sometimes really know what you're going to get with them. I think, you know, if you look at the position in the table, that's probably a, a very fair reflection of them. So, you know, fr- from the outset, that probably doesn't look inconsistent. But I I agree in in terms of the results and sometimes the scoreline of results. They're a very strange team. They're very up and down. They've got Manchester United next. Uh, then, of course, we've got the FA Cup. But then they've got Arsenal, Reading, and then Bristol is the final game of the season. So um, if it does come in phases, we might be on the cusp of another phase, If <laughs> judging by the opposite. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I I don't know whether there's a case in the women's game that this happens because the season's a bit shorter. But could they potentially have their flip flops on the beach? Because the sun, the sun's shining this week. (laughs) Is that something that's going on in teams when you're in that position in the table? You know, you're not really going to go down. Um, no, well. I mean, with Hope Powell in charge, definitely not. I would say so. Definitely, definitely not. I think with the fact it is short, I think sometimes that almost goes in the opposite way where you're just buzzing to get every game. They won't, they won't be out on Brighton Beach. Um, definitely not with Hope Powell in charge. Unless it's doing circuits. <laughs> yeah, beach runs that are always horrible for the calves and the lactic acid. But no, I, I think, again, know, knowing what they've been like and looking at their form, as you say, they've probably now, they've, they've taken that loss and then 
they'll probably go unbeaten for the rest of the season. Well, if it goes that way, and that's what we're saying about Hope Powell, then they're probably going to be having some punishments. So still look out for them on Brighton Beach, but they'll be doing the runs like Kate said. <laughs> well, one more result to bring you then. A huge game at the bottom of the table. Nothing could separate these sides. Birmingham City won, Bristol City won. Birmingham hadn't won at home this season. Bristol City hadn't won away. We should have all predicted this result. So perhaps it, the inevitability was always there. Charlie Wellings opened the scoring for the Robins, firing home from close range after 13 minutes. But Christy Murray equalised early in the second half with a fine effort. And that one again in the top corner. We saw some nice top corner finishes in the WSL this weekend. Uh, Birmingham then, then ninth, their one place and two points above Bristol City I must admit I had this one down for a draw as well um, because it was so predictable Uh, was everything about it predictable? Yeah I I think so they're in a a, a tough position both teams now and I think that that bottom four Birmingham, Bristol, Villa and West Ham I think any four of them could go down to be honest I think Spurs have have crawled themselves out really they're I think five points clear or, or four points clear of Birmingham so I think credit to Matt Beard since he's come in. He's definitely changed Bristol. And even if it's just maybe a bit of man management and confidence, obviously they've got quite a small squad, so not necessarily change the the squad around in terms of the personnel, but maybe tweak positions. Charlie Wellens now um, playing through the nine and and scoring goals and doing really well. Um, And as you say, sort of close friend of mine, Christy Murray, what an absolute strike that is right in the top corner. And, and, And that didn't surprise me at all because, you know, training with her day in, day out, she's got so much quality um, and again I think at the start of the season Birmingham were in a bit of a what looked like a dire position but Carla Ward's gone in there and, and steadied the ship and the, you know as I say I think any any of that bottom four could still go down so there's definitely still work to do obviously West Ham and Villa have got a couple of games in hand but again you'd rather have the points on the board so again exciting at the bottom of the table. Both of these sides though Birmingham and Bristol City uh, the next fixtures they've got I can't see either of them getting any points because we've got Bristol hosting Arsenal who we've already just said you know looking very very good indeed and then Birmingham go to Chelsea they're at Kings Meadow so can't see either of those Um, we have had some nice news though Kate Yes, we have. Tanya Roxtoby, who at the moment, of course, is on maternity leave because she has had her baby. Albie Kempsky-Oxtoby was born a week ago today. So last Tuesday. Congratulations to her. I'm looking at some pictures. He's super cute. Um, He's not got a football kit yet, uh, just to (laughs) clarify that. There's no sleep suit uh, football combo, uh, but he looks very sweet. So congratulations to Tanya from all of us here at the Offside Rule. And that rounds up all the action from the WSL. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. It's another big week for clubs in Europe with the Champions League quarterfinals second legs. Chelsea face Wolfsburg leading that tie 2-1, whilst Manchester City have a challenge to try and overturn a 3-0 deficit against Barcelona. But could women's football be about to get another European competition? Well, let's bring in Claire Bloomfield, head of women's football from the European Club Association, who published their first women's football strategy this week. 
Thanks so much for having me on. It's great to be with you all. And this has gone, I think this newsline's gone very, very well for you in that we didn't know much about the ECA, the European Club Association and what they did. But this strategy looks sound, it looks forward thinking, and it's almost a great way for you to announce the ECA's presence, I suppose. That's exactly right. You know, as the ECA have been involved in women's football going back to 2013, you know, that the reforms of the Women's Champions League, which we'll see come into play um, next season, you know, have all been um, put together through close collaboration with, with UEFA and, and, and ECA. Um, but it's great now to be able to set out our first ever women's football strategy. And we've set out these six strategic goals that cover six very distinct areas of the game. You know, includes things like driving a sustainable future for the game. So very much focused on youth academies and player pathways, accelerating professionalisation identifying new commercial opportunities, uh, realising European ambitions. Obviously, it's captured many of the headlines uh, of this course of this week. Creating new women's football clubs, crucially also supporting those who are still in their early years. And then producing uh, extensive research, particularly around high performance issues. So I think one of the headlines, as we've alluded to, is the development of another competition. So plans to introduce a second tier European club competition. Any discussions yet on perhaps a model, what what that might look like? What might you be referencing to perhaps that's been particularly successful within the men's game? Well, actually, you know, we have a, a responsibility to explore all of the possible options which could lead to further development of of the women's game and opportunities for clubs to play more relevant games in Europe. So as part of this strategy, we're looking at proposals for a Club World Cup and potentially a second tier uh, European competition. But, you know, it's important to think about this as this is the commitment to um, carry out this extensive analysis and consultation with um, member clubs and, and UEFA and the other stakeholders to determine whether this is actually the most appropriate step forward for the women's game. Um, all that analysis would obviously need to point towards this being, um, you know, the right move before we could take any next steps. So difficult to put a time frame on that. But obviously this is a, is a two year project, um, this strategy, and we would, um, you know, we would look to achieve all of these goals. But by the end of that, as you say, we, we're um, quite clear about holding ourselves to account um, and no, this this is an area of the game which must be explored. One of the things that we keep hearing out of FIFA, who I know you have to work with very tightly on some of these things, as well as UEFA, is increasing the amount of World Cups, uh, not just in the men's game, but potentially in the women's game as well. Is, is that something that you've been privy to? I mean, there's lots of conversations happening on things like the international match calendar all of the time. And, you know, over the course of the next few months, those conversations will continue as we start to look towards the new cycle. Um, But what I think is really exciting is that now these big conversations about changing the competition landscape for women is um, it's the norm. You know, we we want to look at new ways all of the time to, you know, what's the next step forward for women's competitions to make the game, you know, even more exciting, uh, even more commercially attractive, whether that be to broadcasters or to clubs. Um, And it's great now that all of these big ideas are on the table. But then we obviously need to be very focused and, and make sure that we make 
uh, really well-informed decisions about what the next steps are and, and not just replicate what's happening in, in men's football. As well as looking at how women's football will be sustainable, needs to be sustainable, Claire, one of your key objectives is to uh, look at research into injury. And of course, I know some clubs here in England have been looking at the correlation between ACL injuries and perhaps your menstrual cycle. But there's a lot more work to be done in this area, isn't there? Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm really happy that you've picked up on this because I, I know much of the headlines naturally have focused on the competition elements of the strategy. But I feel that this research arm of the project is such a critical area of work. And we often talk about this medical related um, research and, and the lack of data in this area. And you know, I'm sure you've had lots of conversations like this you know, on your own programme. But in order to make really evidence informed approaches to things like training or injury rehabilitation, we we have to address uh, this this gap in in knowledge and you know having taken all of these things into consideration um, we're now going to introduce this women's high performance task force which will focus solely on investigating these female specific issues and crucially we will build a bespoke team tailored to to these topics with club experts from all over Europe, as well as some additional support from, you know, academics and, and other external um, research partners. But crucially, they will all have experience in working with female athletes and, and, and in football in particular. And I think that's so important to the success of this project. Um, you know, I've received so many messages in the last sort of 24 hours alone of experts keen to contribute to this stream of work. So there's a real interest here. I feel like I should address the elephant in the room, which is something that you, you touched on when you said about not replicating men's football, because it's such a difficult balance, isn't it? You know, the, the competitions are growing. We want to see that growth. We want to see more commercial opportunities. But what also comes with that is there are parts of the women's game that people still want to really protect. Um, certainly the accessibility, um, the family orientated nature of going to women's football. I think there's a lot of people listening that are thinking, is it going too much like the men's game or could it end up going that way? We want to strive for as much equality as we can, but what we don't want is lots of diving, for instance. In the There's lots of things in the men's game that, that football purists really don't like that don't exist in the women's at the moment. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And and what's great is we're in this really unique position where we can look at the men's game and we can take learnings from that and we can do things differently if we choose, if we decide that it's necessary. And in many instances, it is. Um, You know, when I think about some of the regulatory frameworks that we just kind of, we assume that because they're commonplace in men's football, they also exist in women's. And actually, in many instances, they don't. And you can't in those instances just simply copy and paste from men's football and assume that they will then sufficiently serve their intended purposes because they're two different propositions. Is that one of your toughest challenges though then? Because if you're working with the bodies that all decide the men's competitions, and I'll give you the example as well where Premier League teams, you know, we've got Chelsea women who are doing very well, but being operated by, you know, the same outfit that works with within the Premier League too. How do you get in there so that they don't become the same sort of thing I think more than fighting against there's this kind of very collaborative spirit which which has has been great to see throughout the course of this project and the kind of negotiations and developments we've been working on so far Um, you know all of the different stakeholders have their respective experts in in women's football but often that they're you know they're merging and they're coming together and, and there's some really constructive conversations 
Um, there, there is definitely this acknowledgement, though, that um, yeah, we can we can do things differently in women's football. That we we do have this opportunity to um, to carve out the solutions that that fit the women's game specifically. Um, we're in many instances creating some of these initiatives for the very first time. That means we're in the best possible place actually to get them right. That was Claire Bloomfield from the European Club Association. Courtney, uh, another European competition for women's football is in the offing. It's in the planning stages. Nothing absolutely confirmed yet. Good news for the game? Yeah, definitely. The more light that we can shed on the women's game and, and more exposure that we can get, definitely um, a very positive sign. And, you know, especially with the WSL and, and the Sky deal coming in and financially what comes with that, um, clubs will be able to compete. Because I think in, in years gone by, maybe clubs wouldn't have maybe been, been able to afford to even, you know, compete and, and go abroad and, and do all the things that need to be done with that. So I think it's a massive step forward. As you say, it might be a way off, but even just having those conversations, I think, is, is a good sign. Back to WSL action. A look ahead to the fixtures that we've got coming up this weekend. OK, I'm going to run through them and then I'll get you to pick one out, if that's OK, Courtney. Uh, on Saturday, Reading take on West Ham. Sunday, Everton host Aston Villa. You've got Brighton against Manchester United. Bristol play Arsenal. Chelsea up against Birmingham and Tottenham. Hotspur entertain Manchester City. Some quite one-sided ties amongst these, on paper anyway. Um, which one interests you? I think especially because of, of the Champions League, I would say that the, the Manchester City and the Chelsea ties will be the interesting ones to look at. I know that, you know, Birmingham, especially at Chelsea, are the massive underdogs and, and they have got a big squad that can rotate. So I'm edging towards that City game, especially because they've been, you know, slightly up and down. As you say, they struggled against Reading um, and, and with the Champions League in the week, I just maybe think that might play a factor. Mm. So big games at the top and the bottom. It's the last round of matches before the international break. Uh, some news uh, to shoehorn in before we go. Interim England boss Hegger Reese has announced her Lionesses squad for the friendlies against France and Canada in a couple of weeks. Carly Telford and Karen Bardsley are included. No Hannah Hampton. Big omission mm. there. And Reeve Charles, Beth Mead, Millie Turner also in there. Uh, Stokes, Bright and Kirby will be back from injury. They'll be available. As we mentioned earlier, Steph Horton's out injured. Side play France away on the 9th of April and Canada at home on the 13th. Well, thank you very much, Courtney, for joining us for this week's show. Uh, what's next for you? Palace at the weekend? Yeah, I've got Palace at the weekend and, and still cracking on with sort of some punditry and, and things like that. So, yeah, I've got the, the best of both worlds at the moment. And it's early morning. Morning punditry because you were up at seven thirty this morning. I noticed, Courtney. <laughs> I very much was. So yeah, at least I've got a nice sunny, sunny day today, so I can relax in the sun for the rest of the day. And we're pretty much there. Most teams now with four league games remaining, and the WSL will be rounding up soon. Stay with us for every step of the journey. We'll be back again next week. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside Rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Money Knees Media production. The Athletic.